Wedge Issues is brought to you by Wispolitics.com, a place where political insiders go for news, opinion, and campaign information. Once again, that's Wispolitics.com. Hey guys, it's your friendly Wedge Issues host, Jesse O'Poyan here. I'm asking you to please lower your expectations for the sound quality of this week's episode. I'll give you a second now to sufficiently adjust them. So you know that thing where you bring your fancy podcast recorder to the state capitol to do an interview with a state senator, and then you accidentally delete the entire interview when you're trying to record something else? Yeah, uh, that thing. That happened to me this week, which was a huge bummer. Uh, Fortunately, I recorded a backup on my cell phone, so we have the interview, and uh, it's a great interview. I had a really great time talking to State Senator Patrick Teston. It's just, unfortunately, not the usual podcast audio quality. My apologies to you, the listener, and to Senator Teston, who was gracious enough to give me an hour of his time for this conversation. I hope you'll listen anyway. It really shouldn't be too bad. And it's a fun conversation. Uh, Senator Teston and I actually went to the same high school in Marinette. He was two years ahead of me. Now he lives in Stevens Point, and he represents the state's 24th state Senate district. We talked about the bills he's been working on, uh, his approach to working across the aisle in a divided government, and how he got involved in politics in the first place. We're going to jump straight to that with no news roundup this week. So here we go. So I'm here in the state capitol office of State Senator Patrick Teston. Um, You've been representing the 24th Senate District since 2016 in your first term. Um, Why don't you tell me a little bit about your district? Sure. So I represent the 24th Senate District. It's a pretty diverse district that encompasses all of Portage County. So we have communities like like Stevens Point, Plover, goes into uh, Wood County, where I've got just about everything in Wood County, with the exception of Marshfield, Auburndale. So I, I have the cities of Wisconsin Rapids, Nakusa, Port Edwards. Then I go into Northern Adams County, Western Washera County. So places like Watoma, Coloma, Plainfield, Eastern Jackson County, and then go into um, Northern Monroe County. So places like Tome and Spartan. What's great about the district is its diversity. You've got a university town with UWSP and Stevens Point. Pretty strong, thriving insurance industry there. You've got a lot of uh, heavy egg industry throughout the district and potatoes, cranberries, and other vegetables. And and then you've got Fort McCoy down in Monroe County. So you get a little bit of everything here in the 24th. Yeah. And you went to school at UW-Stevens Point, and then you stuck around. What did you like about the area? What kept you there? So I I grew up in Marinette, just Mm -hmm. like yourself. And um, I came to Stevens Point when I was a freshman in college, and I absolutely fell in love with the area. I had some friends of mine that graduated a year ahead of me, and they absolutely fell in love with Stevens Point. And so um, actually, when I was looking at colleges, I made sure Stevens Point was the last one I, I toured because I didn't want to, to skew my, my opinion. Yeah. And I'm glad I did because it, it definitely skewed it. I mean, I fell in love with it and just fell in love with the area. I mean, you're central, centrally located. You're within about a couple hours from just about the Twin Cities, you know, Madison, Milwaukee, Chicago, and then you're not too far away from heading up to the Northwoods. And so um, for me, I stuck around and 
decided I was a glutton for punishment, so I'd run for public office, and, and here we are today. Yeah. yeah, so you were two years ahead of me at Marinette High School, and so we didn't really know each other, but probably knew a lot of the same people, and I was hoping that I could come up with some like weird anecdote about you, <laughs> but I was thinking back, and I was like, what did I know about you in high school? And the only things I ever heard about you were that you were smart, and that you were nice, and then every now and then I would see you in the weight room, so that is my co- my high school impression well, of that, you. That's, that's probably for the best. <laughs> yeah. And I also had an afro in my I remember year. that. Yeah, you had a lot more hair than you do now. <laughs> um, so I was, I was reading up on you a little bit, and you spent a lot of time back in Marinette when you were in college doing a lot of different jobs. It sounds like you were constantly working through high school. So what were some of the, the jobs that you did to work your way through school, and, and what did you learn from them? Yeah, I mean, I guess my, my parents instilled in me that if you want anything, that you're going to have to go out and earn it. And, you know, my parents were able to provide a great upbringing for me, but there were times where they struggled financially. And, and so that really kind of instilled in me that, you know, you're going to have to go out and earn what, what you want if you want to have money to go to the movies or go to Mickey Lou's and get a burger. And so my first job was at uh, Schlegel's Bayview Restaurant in Menominee, Michigan, where I started off as a busboy. And at the time, my mom also worked as a waitress there. And then kind of worked my way up into the kitchen as a prep cook, and then eventually I got to work on the line cook. So, I mean, it, it was tough work, but I, I learned a ton. And then um, when I was in college, my summer months and then even my winter breaks, I'd be back home. So there were summers I worked at Sylvan Industries where you know, worked the weekend shift where I was cleaning uh, pressure vessel tanks, worked the summer stacking lumber at Acer Flooring, um, spent a summer where I worked two jobs, you know, in the morning, I'd go work for the, the school district and work out, work with their maintenance team and then load trucks at UPS at night and then find time to uh, coach the Krivitz, uh, uh high school football team for one summer, too. So, uh, you know, got a lot of experience in a number of different jobs, which I, I think really helped, um, you know, kind of form my my opinion that there is value in all forms of work and that, you know, it shouldn't matter what job you have so long as you treat it as an opportunity and may not be your dream job, but it's better than no job. And so um, that's why I try and tell people, you're in a job you don't like right now, that's fine, but use it as an opportunity to learn, grow professionally and personally, and use it as the next step till you get to a point where you find the job that you do want and you do love. Yeah. So what sparked your interest in politics and uh, what were your sort of early forays into that field? So I got the bug early. So my grandfather worked for the state of Wisconsin for many years. In fact, he was kind of the the architect and head of our state pension system. And I can remember every time we'd come down and visit uh, my grandpa and grandma who lived in Middleton, I'd always say, Grandpa, I want to go down to the Capitol. So we'd hop in his car and go around the square. And and I don't know what it was, but early on, I just I was infatuated with government and, and with politics, even when I was in like third or fourth grade. And it just kind of it carried over into my adolescent life and, and as a young adult. And it really wasn't until 2008 that the light bulb kind of went off. I mean, I was in college, you know, I was a poli sci major, but I've never, I didn't have any experience. And one day I just hopped in my truck and went down to the campaign headquarters and walked into the Republican party and said, I want to volunteer, what can I do? And literally I started off at the base level um, going door to door, making the phone calls. And then after that election, it just snowballed. I mean, it, the, the monster grew, so, so to speak. <laughs> and I got more involved and, and more opportunities opened up. And, and uh, that's really how I, I got my start. And I, I think about that a lot, especially in t- 
today with where I sit now that if I hadn't gotten my truck that day, I don't know what compelled me, mm-hmm. but I ha- if I hadn't gotten that in my truck that day and gone down to that office, I don't know if I ever would have. And I don't know if I'd ever be where I am right now. Yeah. Well, what was it about the Republican Party that attracted you? You know, I think for me, a lot of it had to do with at the time. I mean, in my formative years, in like eighth grade, it was 9-11. And then, um, you know, that really shaped a lot of a lot of my personal beliefs. And then um, the more I learned about government and taking a look at just you know, some of the top issues that were going on throughout my early years, um, it just kind of came to me naturally, you know, limited government, you know, being responsible, living within your means, you know, less taxes, making sure you keep more of your hard-earned paycheck. I mean, kind of went back to that. I remember the first paycheck I ever got. I had to ask my parents what all these different things that were being taken out of my check. And they said, well, that's that's the government share. And I said, well, that's not fair. I want to keep some of that. And so that's really what kind of kind of led me to gravitate towards the, the Republican Party and really kind of shaped um, my political philosophy. So since you've been in office, it's been three, what, three years now, um, you've you're, the, the bills that you've worked on really kind of remind me of what you were talking about, the variety of your district with the you know, veterans issues, with farming issues, with business issues. What are some of the pieces of legislation that you've had passed? First, we can talk about, we can talk about things that you're currently working on later. Um, but, but what are you proud of having accomplished so far? That's, that's what's so great about this job is that you never know what's going to come come on your desk any given day or who's going to come to your office and talk about various issues. In fact, I can remember one of the first um, bills that we worked on was the Vets and Egg Bill. It wasn't even my idea. In fact, um, Representative Evan Goyke approached me and he came in and he said, Senator, I think I have an idea, a bill we could work on. And so uh, we sat down. I'm like, you know what? I, I like this. And it was really to help transition veterans to go into agriculture. And uh, he and I, we introduced the bill and it picked up steam and got signed into law. And so we now have a program here in the state that when veterans come home, um, they can get assistance and some directions and guidance to transition into agriculture. Uh, some of the other bills that we had worked on last session, um, probably one I'm most proud of was the Farm Freedom Act, mm-hmm. which um, was a bill that we, had, we did with now retired state representative Jesse Kramer to reintroduce industrial hemp into the state of Wisconsin. And so I never dreamed in my wildest dreams that that would be an issue that uh, I was going to champion. In fact, the first time uh, Jesse Kramer pitched it to me, I threw up my hands and said, no way, I don't want to touch this. You're, you're talking about something that I don't want to deal with. He's like, no, Senator, it's not what you think it is. It's not marijuana. And I said, okay, I'll do my research. And uh, I called him a few days later and said, all right, let's do this. And this is another one of those cases where I think we hit a perfect storm. And next thing you knew, um, this this bill became law. And I never dreamed it was going to happen. I thought it was going to take a couple sessions. But we've done some other legislation too. Um, you know, last session we, we did the green alert bill. So when uh, veterans go missing, similar to like a silver alert or an amber alert, that we have an alert system. So that way the public and law enforcement and other folks in the community know that uh, veterans missing and so um you know it's been successful we've had a few successful cases and then another another bill that i was really proud to work on was one with um now retired state representative joel playfish dealing with fentanyl and i think um you know you and i both know people from back home that have fallen into the throes of addiction and it's destroyed families and it was really a model legislation that um would ban all forms of fentanyl analogs moving forward and 
what's great about that bill is that the federal government basically took what we did here in Wisconsin and applied it at the federal level. So it was an awesome experience to be able to help combat the opioid crisis here in the state and country. Yeah, I remember that bill. It was a unique sort of approach to it because the different analogs keep getting developed faster than regulators can respond to them. And we, we were sort of in Wisconsin were the first to really take the step and say, from here forward, yeah. they're, all, they're all gone. And what yeah. was wild about that, and just to show what we were up against, is that we had to sign the bill like the next day because we had, we had found out from the FDA that they're going to schedule a new analog. Oh, wow. And had that had happened, we would have had to start over. And so, I mean, just to show what, what regulators and law enforcement officials are up against in the war on the war on the opioid crisis is that, you know, these, these manufacturers, the tr these drug dealers, they're so creative that they can just tweak the chem chemical formula just enough to be able to, outside the purview of the law. And we just wanted to make sure that um, we're putting our best foot forward to ensure that our streets and communities are safe from this dangerous and toxic and downright scary drug that uh, it was just, you know, you think about some of the things you get to work on. And in that particular instance, I mean, I firmly believe it's had a direct impact and it's probably saved some lives. Yeah. Going back to the, the farm freedom legislation, uh, allowing farmers to grow hemp, you mentioned you were really hesitant to get on board with this at first. So what were your misconceptions going in? What did you learn? What got you on board? And what are you hearing from people who are taking advantage of this legislation now? Yeah, I, the biggest, my biggest hesitation right out of the gate when, when Representative Kramer said hemp, I thought marijuana. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know if I want that. Nope. I don't want that attached to me. That's not my cup of tea. Um, but I took the time and, and did my homework on it and realized that the state of Wisconsin has a rich history within this crop. And when you take a look at all the different applications for it, from CBD oil to the fibers, to the fact that you can use it for composite plastics, hempcrete, you can use it for insulation in your homes. I mean, there's tens of thousands of different applications, biodiesel, ethanol. Um, it really, the light bulb went off, like I said. And when you take a look at, we are, we are in the midst of a five-year down farm economy. Commodity prices are, are record low. We've lost 49% of our dairy farms in the last um, 10 to 15 years. So I saw this as an opportunity for us to provide some relief for our farmers. Not only that, to lessen ourselves on a foreign import of which we import roughly $600 million worth of hemp from other countries like uh, Canada, China, India. Well, we can grow it right here because we used to be a national leader in this crop. And so that's really what, what prompted me to, um, you know, lead the charge on this to, and so far it's been extremely ex successful. So in year one of our program, we had over 250 growers sign up and over a hundred processors sign up. So to put that in perspective to other states that have um, started their own hemp programs, we blew them out of the water. And even though year one was a tough year for growers because it was a wet year, and it's a brand new market, so there's a lot of uncertainty and there's still some um, ambiguity and some gray areas between federal interpretations of the law and then even different interpretations from different agencies at both the federal and state level. I think a number of people stayed on the sidelines, but legislation that we are working on currently would put us in line with changes that were made in the 2018 Farm Bill, which really opened up the, the floodgates for hemp, not just in Wisconsin, but across the country removes it as a controlled substance, allows for interstate commerce. 
And so we want to make sure that our state program is in line with changes at the federal level. But more importantly, the legislation, legislation that we are currently working on would put us in line with those changes, but more importantly, working with the department, working with the, um, the stakeholders, whether it was Farm Bureau, Farmers Union, the Wisconsin Hemp Manufacturers, uh, we want to make this program more user-friendly so we can open up more opportunities for uh, farmers, processors, and consumers here in the state. And in year two of our program, we've seen our hemp program grow uh, sixfold. We had 700 and, no, excuse me, we had 1,400 new app grower applications filed and over 750 uh, processing applications. So it is the green rush right now in Wisconsin. And I think there's a lot of people that are seeing this as an opportunity to um, make some money, mm -hmm. uh, create new businesses, and more importantly, provide um, consumers with alternative products out there, whether it's CBD or, or other hemp-derived products. So the other element of that plant is going through a lot of debate in both the state budget and outside of it right now, um, talking about either legalizing marijuana for recreational use or medicinal use. If I'm not mistaken, your opinion maybe has changed a little bit on the medicinal aspect of this. Um, where are you on, on marijuana legalization? Yeah, I'm supportive of medical. Um, you know, for me, I look back at, you know, a story that impacted my, my own personal family. So my grandfather, who I mentioned earlier, worked for the state. He passed away in the year 2000 of, of cancer and he smoked mar marijuana, granted it was illegally, mm -hmm. but I'm thoroughly convinced this was one thing that gave him his appetite back that all these different drugs and, and cocktails, uh, different prescriptions that he was on just couldn't give him. But when I also take a look at individuals, in particular uh, veterans who have come up to me and hold me aside in confidence and these are men and women who are just basically have tears in their eyes who, these are individuals who have fought for our country, put their lives on the line. They come back with either chronic pain or issues like PTSD. And again, they get prescribed all these different types of drugs from the VA and it doesn't really help. But yet they tell me I smoke marijuana illegally. So here we have individuals who have served our country who are now have to go commit an illegal act and go out in the black market to get something that provides them the only relief they can get. So for me, I mean, I'm, I'm supportive of medical. I know we have had conversations with some, some of my colleagues here to see if there's a way we could craft a bipartisan bill and take a look at what other states have done. But I will be completely honest, it is still a tough sell with a lot of my colleagues in the state Senate for a number of different reasons. And I, I respect their opinions and I, I get where they're at, but I do think it's a conversation that we have to have. And when you take a look at actions that have been taken in states like Michigan, Minnesota, Illinois, that all have some form of medical cannabis program, I, I do think um, you know, we should at least consider it and have that conversation. As far as recreational goes, I, I'm still not there. Mm -hmm. And I know for some advocates who have been in my office and I've had meetings with, it, it frustrates them, <laughs> but I, I'm just not there. I'm, and so um, you know, I'm still supportive of medical marijuana. Yes. I mean, I think the, the public support level is certainly higher for that than it is for, for recreational. It's easier to make that case to people who are hesitant on the medicinal front. Um, you mentioned looking at trying to find a, a bipartisan way to do that, and you've, a lot of your sort of marquee bills have been bipartisan pieces of work. Um, what's your approach to working across the aisle in a building that can be pretty divided? Sure, and that, that is a great question. <laughs> Obviously, 
I think there may be the perception out there in the public that when we come down to Madison, if you're a Republican, you get red boxing gloves, Democrats get blue ones, and then we just beat the tar out of each other. But in, in reality, a lot of the bills that we work on are bipartisan. I firmly believe that whether you're a Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, at the end of the day, we all have some common goals. We want what's best for our country. We want what's best for our state, for our families, for our communities. We have different ways of going about it. And I've always tried to operate in the sphere that, okay, there are going to be some issues that Republicans and Democrats are very far apart on, that the fault lines are just too great, too far apart, that's hard to reach across. And so I try and build, find out what do we agree on, is there common ground, and build upon that. I think when you take that approach, you get a much better result as opposed to coming at things from an adversarial perspective. And it can be tough at times. I know when I worked on bills with some of my Democratic colleagues, we sit at this very table and we're going back and forth on various provisions within peace with, within a bill. But I think if you can set up the parameters of that playing field that you're operating on, I mean, you're able to get a lot more done. And then at the end of the day, just know there are going to be some issues that we're going to have to agree to disagree on. But, you know, I try and keep the politics of personal destruction out of here because there's just there's no time for it. And I think it takes away from the greater debates that we have to have and trying to put forward good public policy that um, we can put out there and hopefully get the support of whoever our governor is, whether it was Governor Walker or now Governor Evers. So that's been the approach that we've taken. And for me personally, I think it's warranted with a, a lot of great results. I think last session we had over, I think it was close to 45 or 47 pieces of leg legislation that I was either the author or co-author on or signed into law. And many of those had bipartisan support and Democratic co-authors. So, yeah, I think if we took more time to focus on what we can agree on rather than what we disagree on, we'd get a lot more done, not just here in Madison, but in D.C. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, well, one thing that everyone agrees on is that water quality is a, an important issue in Wisconsin. And you've introduced some legislation to work on that, looking at uh, nitrate pollution, uh, contamination in private wells. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what your bill would do? Yeah, so we've got a bill out there that would create um, new, a new program within the Department of Health and Human Services. So the district I represent, a large portion of it is in the central sands. And in areas of sandy soil, you run into um, more susceptibility for groundwater contamination, especially in a heavy egg area like I represent, and specifically the nitrates. So right now, nitrate contamination is the most prevalent form of contamination within Wisconsin's waterways. And currently within the Department of Natural Resources, there's the Well Compensation Fund, which deals with um, different types of contaminants. But as it relates to nitrates specifically, homeowners only qualify for assistance if they're over 40 parts per million, which is four times above the EPA standards, and you have to have livestock on your land. So we know there's about 40,000 wells that are contaminated above the 10 parts per million EPA safe standards. Now, I sit on the speaker's task force on water quality. And so far we've gone and made a number of different stops around the state. And over and over again, we hear that nitrates are a problem. We have county health officials come before us and say, it's a problem. And so the legislation we introduced would create a new program within DHS because I think this is a public health issue. Everyone I've talked to will agree. Yep, nitrate contamination, it's a public health issue. And so what this would do, the original legislation would allocate $10 million. 
and allow homeowners up to $2,500 in grants to go towards remediation efforts or towards a new well. So we're trying to give some sort of assistance to give some short-term relief while we use legislation such, or um, while we use the Speaker's Task Force on Water Quality as the vehicle for long-term solutions. Now, I'm happy to report that the Joint Finance Committee uh, took my legislation and incorporated it into the budget. Now, they didn't fund it at the full 10, 10 million, but they funded it at 3 million, which is better than zero and still more than what's currently within the DNR's whole compensation fund. So what I think is great about this is that, you know, this is one of those issues that, again, I think you can find bipartisan support because whether you're Republican or Democrat, what have you, we all need clean water. And I was really encouraged when the governor gave his state of the state address and declared that 2019 is the year of clean water. And when the speaker, the assembly announced that um, he was going to create the water task force, I approached him and said, Speaker Boss, this is great that you're doing this, but please include the Senate in this so that way we have a seat at the table and we can work with you and your members on finding some, some proposals that will, that will get us to where we need to be. Now, it's going to take some time. We didn't get here overnight. Mm -hmm. And so um, my biggest takeaway to people, especially back home where this has been an ongoing issue is that we will try and find you some short-term solutions, but it's going to take a while to get us to where we really need to be because we didn't get here overnight. You're also working on uh, legislation, the BRAVE Act, which deals with uh, retaining emergency personnel. Um, what is the problem the state is facing and what would your bill do to work it, to fix it? Yeah, so right now we have roughly 800, 863 fire departments throughout the state of Wisconsin. 701 of those rely solely on volunteers and then another 100 of those rely on part-time volunteers. Now, the problem that we run into is that um, Wisconsin's getting older. So uh, 10 years ago, the average age of our volunteer firefighter was 50 years old. Well, now it's pushing 60. And it comes at the worst possible time because in that time frame, uh, call times have tripled. And when you take a look at our younger generation, um, we move around a lot more. We don't, we don't plant roots as firmly in, in communities. And volunteerism is generally down. And so what we're trying to do is create three refundable tax credits that will go, to, go towards um, attracting people into the profession and then give them incentive for them to stay in there and then also help with um, things like uh, minor equipment purchases, uh, travel reimbursement, and then training expenses. So we're trying to remove some of these hurdles of entry into this profession and, and ensure that we have the volunteers that we need to ensure that our heroes next door can protect and serve our communities. Wedge Issues is sponsored by WISPolitics.com. You can become a WISPolitics.com member. Find out more at WISPolitics.com slash membership. So you mentioned the Afro that you had in high school. There's another <laughs> legislator in the building that actually is growing in Afro now, and it's because of a bill that the two of you were working on. Um, Representative Jonathan Brostoff, Democrat from Milwaukee, uh, is growing his hair until this sign language interpreter bill passes. And uh, it made its way through the assembly last year, got caught up in the Senate. Uh, how are things looking for that, and what does that bill do? So yeah, essentially this bill would kind of reform our our deaf interpreter licensing here in the state so it can better help 
uh, the deaf community. So right now, there were, several years ago, there were some changes made to the licensing structure here in the state. And unfortunately, because of those changes, we've had over 100 people leave that profession. And for a lot of people who have the ability to hear, I don't think oftentimes we take for granted that ability and may not understand that people who are hearing impaired or deaf have a lot of hurdles that they have to go through, especially whether it's with medical decisions, legal decisions. And so we wanna try and pass this legislation so we can get more interpreters here in the state to serve the deaf community. Um, when Representative Rostov approached me about this legislation uh, last session, I, I didn't really know how big of a problem that this was. And I really didn't fully understand just how big of a champion he was for this community. And so when the there was the deaf lobby day and individuals came down and you know told about some of these horror stories that they've gone through because they didn't have the right interpreter or their interpreter messed up. I, I stood up and said, all right, I'll work with you on this bill. And so last session, it made it through the assembly. Um, it got snagged up in the Senate committee that it was referred to. And so um, we reintroduced it again this session. And as you mentioned, Representative Brostoff has vowed he will not cut his hair <laughs> until the bill is signed into law. I'm hopeful that <laughs> we'll be able to cut his, uh, cut his hair because he is long overdue for haircut. <laughs> um, I, I do think we're in a much better position this time um, just because the, it seems like there's, the speaker is making this a priority and we continue to work with um, our colleagues in the Senate who had some reservations about the bill last session. So I, I think we're in a good spot to get this bill done. And my hope is we can get it done sooner rather than later, just because time is of the essence on some of the licensees that are out there that um, could benefit from this bill. So a lot of the bills that we're talking about are uh, seem to have a pretty good chance of being signed by the governor. Um, you're also the lead author on a piece of legislation that I, I think you probably knew from the outset wasn't going to get the governor's signature, but um, it was part of a package of several bills related to abortion, talking about um, outlawing abortion based on uh, diagnosis of a birth defect or uh, racial or uh, gender basis. Knowing that probably this was not going to get signed, why was this important for you to introduce during this session? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Take the, the issue of pro-life versus pro-choice out of the equation. And so obviously this debate rages on, not just here in Wisconsin, but across the country. And one of the reasons why I think you saw a number of bills introduced in response to, was in response to actions taken, statements that have been made by elected officials at both the national and even at the state level around the country. But for me, the legislation that we, we introduced, the Shield Be Vulnerable, to me, it wasn't, it's not an, an abortion bill, it's a non-discrimination bill. And I would think this would be one area where we could at least find consensus in a very hot topic and a very di di divisive issue that it really is. It is a non-discrimination bill that simply states abortions can't be performed solely on the, on the basis of a child's sex, race, or congenital disability. And when this got brought up both on the Senate floor and, and when it was heard in the respective committees, you know, a lot of people asked, well, why now? Or what, what's the purpose of this? And for me, it was really about doing what I believe is the right thing to do. But more importantly, I think it's in line with the actions that had been taken by Tony Evers administration already. His first executive order was an executive order that dealt with non-discrimination. And in fact, there was a line in that executive order that said 
um, matters of non-discrimination are a matter of good governance. And so for me, I thought, great, here's an opportunity for us to build upon that call to action and for us to kind of connect the dots and ensure that discrimination practices aren't allowed at all stages of life. But we'll see. Maybe there's an opportunity within the next couple of days that the governor will have a change of heart. But um, he has indicated that he'll likely veto those bills. And so we'll see. I mean, it is his prerogative. But at least for me personally, I thought it was important to stand up for, for those individuals. Yes. So what are the other priorities for you policy-wise, um, bills you have in the works right now, or, or things you might like to pursue in the rest of the session? Yeah, I mean, so right now, um, a couple of the big ones for, for us are um, doing the trailer bill for the, the hemp legislation. For me, this is, it's not every day you get the opportunity to reintroduce a whole new industry to the state and one that has exploded in just two years. And so we continue to work with um, different stakeholders. I know law enforcement groups had some concerns with um, one provision with the bill that you know, we've had very productive conversations on. And I think we'll get to a point where everyone will be able to sign off on the bill. And hopefully we can walk out and be in agreement and you know, put forward legislation that is going to be the benefit of Wisconsin farmers, processors, manufacturers, and consumers. Um, some of the other legislation that we've we've worked on, um, you know, we created a rural dental dental scholarship program. Um, oral health continues to be a hot topic of conversation here down in Madison. I think that's why you've seen a number of different different proposals put forward, whether it's um, dental therapists or um, expanded function dental auxiliaries legislation that I had introduced last session, and we are going to introduce this session again. Uh, but the scholarship program would award scholarships up to uh, $40,000 per student at the Marquette School of Dentistry. And these students have to go practice in underserved rural areas because we have about 38 counties right now that are underserved for dentists. And when we know that there are so many health systems within the body that are connected to oral health, we want to make sure that um, individuals have access to dentists because if those problems don't get addressed, oftentimes, they become an emergency problem. And then, you know, depending on the, the ability to pay for it or not, if they don't, well, then that's not all of us to, to pay for that. And so uh -huh. um, that was a provision that was incorporated into uh, the state budget as well. So I was really excited that the Joint Finance Committee took that up. Um, some of the other bills that we're working on right now is the deaf interpreter bill. I really want to make sure that Representative Rostov gets his haircut because it's <laughs> all be over you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, uh, yeah. I told him it kind of looks like Bozo the Clown yeah. with his with the shadow, but um, yeah, we've got a, a number of different irons in the fire right now, even the tax credit bill for volunteer firefighters. And so um, I'm sure uh, this fall, we're also going to be working on a package of bills that deal with uh, elder abuse. So last session, I served on Attorney General Schimmel's uh, task force on elder abuse. And in the wake of the 2018 elections, I actually, I reached out to him afterwards and I said, hey, Brad, could I have these bills? I don't want to see all the work that you put in just fall by the wayside. And so um, before he left the office, he handed me the drafts of those bills. And we've been working with um, a number of different groups to, um, you know, get the, everyone on board. And I'm probably either this summer or this fall, we're going to launch those and, and hopefully provide some good policy to protect our seniors, because whether it's financial abuse, whether it's physical, sexual, emotional, I mean, it is a problem, not just here in the state, but around the country. We wanna make sure that our seniors are taken care of and, and protected here in Wisconsin. 
Are you ready to move into a little lightning round? Let's roll. Okay. What is your favorite Wisconsin beer? Favorite Wisconsin beer? Miller Lite. All right. Didn't name any any of the many good beers well, of your district. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting on the spot here. See, that, that's, that's, that's the, the problem. Part. I've got yeah. so many good breweries <laughs> in the 24th and just around the state as well. Yeah. It's, it's hard to pick a favorite, but... You know, usually my go-to is a cold can of Miller Lite at the end of the day, but not that it's not to take away from some of the great breweries like Point Brewery, Oso, Central Waters. They all make incredible beer, and I can attest if anyone came to my house right now, I've got six packs from each of their breweries in my fridge. So, <laughs> All right, you're off the hook. <laughs> what is your favorite place in Wisconsin to go on a vacation? Oh, that's easy. That's up at our family cottage up in Three Lakes. Do you have a favorite destination outside of Wisconsin? Favorite destination outside of Wisconsin. Let's see. My wife and I um, last summer took a road trip out to uh, the Badlands out in South Dakota. First time I'd been there and yeah. it was absolutely gorgeous. I, I hope to go back sometime soon. Yeah, it's a cool spot. What is the best concert you've ever gone to? Best concert I've ever gone to? Probably Big and Rich back in high school. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, I was... New to country at the time and mm -hmm. you know, save a horse, ride a cowboy. And it was, it was a good concert. I saw that they opened for Tim McGraw. I saw them uh, in high school too, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but do you know what the first concert that you went to? Was that it? Or did you go to any before that? Oh, first concert I went to was it Tim McBride. I, I honestly, I can't remember the, the exact yeah. first concert I was. It was one I wasn't too thrilled about going to. <laughs> My parents dragged me to it. Yeah. Um, are you, have you read anything recently that has stuck with you? Or are you currently reading anything right now? Not at the moment right now. It's just been centered around policy papers and, and budget papers. So I'm hopeful once we get this budget done, I'll be able to maybe sit down and, and read some good books, but it's been all work right now. Yeah. Um, so you're a poli-sci major. So outside of state government, is there an area of government or like a particular field of study that you found really interesting? You know, honestly, I think right now healthcare policy has been really fascinating to me. Prior to being in the legislature, healthcare was one of those issues that I knew very little about. And it wasn't until we worked on a number of bills last session that specifically related towards rural healthcare and access that it kind of sparked an interest in me. And that's when uh, the opportunity in the health committee opened up. You know, I told Senator Fitzgerald, hey, I would love to have the health committee if we come back in the majority and we did. And so it's been, it's just such a fascinating field with so many different interconnected parts and, and you know, you've got scope issues and you've got insurance issues that get wrapped into it. And then you've got you know, the relationship between hospitals and government and government patients. It's just been, just been fascinating to, to roll my sleeves and, and jump head first into. Yeah. There's a lot there. Um, so if you're driving back and forth uh, between here and the districts, are you listening to podcasts, the radio, other music? Do you listen to books on tape? What do you do in the car? So when I'm driving back from Madison, and I tell people this all the time, I still get the chills when I drive down East Wash and you see that dome get bigger and bigger. Yeah. By the end of the day, I'm running out of here to get back home. And so usually I, I need a good laugh. So I usually uh, listen to Comedy Central and Sirius XM and listen to stand up or... Uh, uh, the Bonfire, which is uh, two comedians, they do a hilarious radio show. And and so, you know, after stressful days down here, you need a good laugh. And so uh, that that's what I use to occupy my, my windshield time. That's a good call. Uh, do you have any pets? I do. I've got uh, one dog. Her name's Riley. She's now six. Can't believe she's getting this old, but she was a, a rescue. We got her when she was a puppy. And she's a little, little hound terrier mix. 
and I, I she's got legs like a deer and and she looks like a her body's like a like a miniature greyhound <laughs> best dog I, I have ever had she's just a sweetie and and uh my wife and i got her trained to be a therapy dog so oh, cool. every once in a while we'll Usually around finals time, we go on campus, so stressed out students have a, <laughs> an opportunity to, to pet a dog and take their mind off finals. Oh, that's, that's great. Uh, so in, in sports and politics, people need walkout music. Do you have a designated walkout song? Designated walkout song. You know, I think about this every once in a while because, um, you know, probably uh, Walking Lines by Pop Evil. Okay. I don't think I know that one. I'm going to have to go look it up. All right. Uh, if someone were visiting your district, what are a few things that you would tell them absolutely have to do or see while they're there? You have to go on a brewery tour. <laughs> First and foremost, yeah. you have to go on a brewery tour. Um, that I would say, you know, go downtown Stevens Point. It's a beautiful community. Or um, if you're a golfer, we are blessed to have some incredible golf courses at Century World. We've got um, Sand Valley down in the town of Rome in Northern Adams County, which has become a golf destination for North America. Hmm. So there, there's a lot to do. And if you've never been to one, take a cranberry bog tour. I've always wanted to do that. I've never it done is, it. It yeah. is a blast. So once a month I go work a different job in the district for a day. Yeah. Just yeah. to show what different job opportunities are out there. And um, uh, a couple of falls ago, I got to work the cranberry harvest. And I'm thinking this will be a breeze, throw on some waders, round up some granders. It is tough work. I don't think you realize just how much, how much fruit you're moving in that water and then just the resistance of the water. I mean, I was exhausted at the end of the day. I bet. Yeah, that, that would be really fun. What's the, the craziest job that you've tried on your, like the most out of your comfort zone oh, job that you've tried? That, that is easy. Um, in January. I worked at the Adams County Waste Management Facility. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I was working alongside the guys, and we were sorting through garbage that came right off the truck. And you learn a lot about people by what they throw <laughs> away. It was dirty. It was smelly. But at the same time, it just goes back to that, to my personal belief that there is a job out there for everyone and that there is value in all forms of work. And so these guys, I mean, some of them are on work release, mm -hmm. and, but... You know, they're, they're making decent money and you know, they're pulling all the recyclables and making sure that that stuff's not going to the landfill. And, and it, it's, it's an important job. It has to be done. Okay. All right. You ready for your last one? Ready. What's your favorite Wisconsin cheese? Favorite Wisconsin cheese. A sharp cheddar, usually aged. Very good. Thanks for having me in here. This is good. Thanks for having me Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll be back every Friday with new episodes, so make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you can stay up to date. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, you can find me on Twitter at jessieopie or you can email me at j-o-p-o-i-e-n at madison.com. If you're looking for other podcasts to listen to, the Cap Times has a few to offer you, including the Mad Splainers about local government and the Corner Table about food and drink. Join me again next week when I hopefully will not delete the entire episode. See you then.
Wedge Issues has been brought to you by wispolitics.com. There are plenty of benefits to becoming a member. You can go to wispolitics.com membership to find out more.